On today's night's podcast, Headmaster Robbie Hinton will share his perspective on the systemic issues within the educational model in America. Think back 25 years ago what the founders were thinking. We all, some of us remember 25 years ago very well. I remember when we were starting a classical school in Jackson, Tennessee. We were all going, yeah, you know, the public school, it's not really that bad. They're just, you know, they just don't teach them truth. Um, and the local private schools around here, they're not that bad. They just don't teach the truth of Christ. We want a school that's not neutral about those things. That was then. Now, the things that we're being taught in schools uh, outside these doors is shocking. Not only are our values that we would inculcate here and seek to surround our students in, not only are they dismissed by others, the debauchery that we would stand opposed to would be celebrated. So if I would say right now, if I looked at you and said, these are the three things we do well and I think we will always do well, um, it is that we teach kids truth, we teach kids skills, we put them in a safe place, morally sound place, I would say those three things are enough. But we think we can do more. We think we can do a whole lot more. Here's the three things we're going to be working on for the next five years that we want to drive through every area of the school. The first of those is we want to teach our students, we want to inculcate a sense of strength in them and a sense of freedom that is founded upon goodness. Now, what's that mean? Well, when you think about Christ, think about who he was. Every time he walked in a room, he had three reactions. First, most people looked at Christ and went, this doesn't make any sense. He wasn't what they expected. And they were shocked and they were curious and they wanted to figure him out. Some were angry. They were mad. And every time Jesus would walk in the room, there was a group of people that were furious with everything he said and everything he did. And then eventually they wanted him killed. And then there was another group over here that looked at what Christ and what he did and heard what he said. And in their response, what they would say to Jesus was, is they would, they would come flocking to him and they would weep at his feet and they would beg him for mercy. The, two, the people that were angry were the Pharisees and they were the self-righteous. The people that fell in love with him were the broken and the downtrodden. Jesus simply walked in a room and displayed his goodness. And that goodness made some people angry and it made some people weep. Jesus attracted pagans and they would come flocking to him. Not because he would appease them and get down on their level and act like them, but because they saw in him an authentic goodness. And it was so authentic and it was so pure and they saw that the goodness that he was bringing to them was so beautiful. They knew it was what they needed and they came for it. Others looked at it and said, no, 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 no. That doesn't look like goodness to me. Why was it not good? Well, what they would say was, is because you're not, we have certain regulations we placed upon goodness. And that's just to make sure everybody sees us as separate from the non-Christians. We don't hang out with prostitutes. We don't let prostitutes weep and cry at our feet. We don't stand in the marketplace next to women and tell them the gospel. We, we don't eat with tax collectors and act like they're our friends. Why? Because we don't want to be falsely associated with them. They were upset because what they wanted to offer people was the picture of goodness 
an outward appearance of goodness. And they were angry because he brought, brought, walked in with a real thing, with a real and true goodness. It is our job at this school to point kids to goodness, not to the, a false picture of it, but to the real thing. How do we do that? Well, I think we do that in all our subjects. When we teach them, we, we directly teach them goodness as we teach them Scripture. We develop their moral imagination as we tell them stories. And as those stories build up into their imagination, they learn how to think around God's law. and They learn how to even dream, hopefully, in God's law. And so in all of our subjects, we're pointing them towards goodness, but we're doing it in a way, and this is the point you have to grasp. We have to make sure we're doing it not the way Odysseus avoided evil, but the way Jason did. Here's what I mean by that. Most of us have heard the story of Odysseus. Odysseus and Jason both knew that they had to get past uh, these, these horrible creatures called the sirens. And the sirens were going to sing a song, and in past history, no man ever made it past them. Because when they would start singing, the ship, the sailors would then sail towards the song as they were seduced by it, and they would sail into the rocks and it would destroy them. So Odysseus, knowing he was going past these sirens, came up with a plan. He said, what I will do is I will put, ear, I'll put wax in the ears of my men, and I will have them lash me to the mast so they can't hear the song and I can't respond to the song. And that worked, and they made it past. And then there was Jason. Jason said, we need no wax, and I need no lashing. I need Orpheus. And he brought along Orpheus, who was a beautiful singer. And every time his men were tired, he would tell Orpheus to sing a song. And every time his men were happy, he'd say, Orpheus, sing us a song. And over time, they became used to the beautiful and the good song that Orpheus sang. And then when they came past the sirens, and the sirens started singing, the sirens, the men would hear their song and they might be intrigued by it. And Jason looked at Orpheus and said, now sing. And Orpheus would sing his song of goodness, his beautiful song. And the men said, that song is ugly. That song that destroys us is ugly. This song is good. Here's what we're trying to do with your children. We're trying to teach them Point them towards goodness so they'll walk in a way that is good. It'll become, it'll become first, maybe just a pattern of behavior where they're, they're somewhat acting good. And then slowly they'll learn, hopefully, to see that this goodness is actually makes life better. If for no other reason, it keeps me out of trouble. And then they'll start seeing, hey, people actually deep down like good people better than they like, than they don't like, because they trust good people. And they realize, I like people when they're good towards me. And then slowly what they realize is as they keep walking inside of goodness, they realize these laws that God gave to us, th these aren't destructive forces. These are freeing forces. These are forces that not only they don't enslave me and hold me back from my desires, they teach me what I should desire. And then what I hope over time is they see that goodness is something beautiful, is something beautiful. And they start holding on to goodness for themselves, not as something that we're placing upon them, but as something they long for. And what I hope is it becomes is like in life, they're not dancing around goodness, but they're dancing with goodness. And if they dance with it long enough, they'll discover something beautiful. 
they're not really dancing with a thing they might call good. They're dancing with a being they would call good. And they wake up and they realize all along they have found something that is truly good, and that is God himself. You see, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to be very clear. Let me say this to you. I've raised three kids. And I get really nervous when somebody would say to me that my kids were good little boys and sweet little girls. Sweet little girls. I never understood what they meant by that. First of all, have you met my daughter? <laughs> have you met them? There's nothing sweet about them, and I didn't raise them to be sweet. And I know they were trying to say something nice, but I was saying, you should be terrified. Not because there's something bad in them. Yes, there is. But because there is a strength, I hope, in them there is a genuine goodness in them that will terrify the self-righteous and will comfort the broken. I hope that our children dance with God and they are attracted to His goodness. I hope they find it and find it to be beautiful. And I hope they are ready to take that goodness into the uttermost parts of the world. Secondly, what are we going to do and what do I think we ought to work on to go to the next level? I think it's a spirit of innovation. I think the school's done a great job of teaching kids the truth. They've inculcated wisdom. I think we've done a great job of inculcating grit and teaching them how to work hard. And now the next level of what I'd like to see us do is, is not where they just know all the right answers, but I'd like them to be in a place where they know the right questions. And when they leave here, I don't want them saying, I have the right answers but they're saying, bring me on some big, complicated, hard problem. I know how to solve it. Now, when I say a spirit of innovation, that may scare some of you. And the word scares me just a little bit, too. But I want you to hear that we're not talking about um, what Jim Dickman would call, we don't want our kids to be open loop. Now, open loop, if you haven't heard that, is an old IBM joke. I think when Jim would have worked with IBM and back in the day, and they would sit around and he said, that guy's open loop, that would have been a great insult. And you would have went, yeah. Or, no, he's a good guy. But that would have been the greatest insult if you were an IBMer, to be called open loop. And that meant this is a person who has a lot of great ideas. They have a lot of things they want to do, but none of them are either practical or reasonable. None of them would be helpful. They just want to do things that are different than everybody else. The innovative spirit we're wanting it is the idea of what, well, some businessmen I ran into several years ago said to me, they looked at me and said, hey, look, I can't find 24-year-olds that are worth hiring. And I said, well, what's wrong with the 24-year-olds? And they said, none of them are curious and none of them are creative. If I don't tell them exactly what to do and when to do it, nothing will ever get done. And I said, well, I have some four-year-olds over here at our school they're filled with curiosity and creativity. Now, after that lunch, I went around and I was thinking about that. That's a problem. Almost every five-year-old you meet has creativity and curiosity. How many 24-year-olds have that? You meet little children. They're filled with wonder. They want to learn. Maybe not the things we're teaching in school but they want to learn, they want to know. You meet people who are 24, there's no curiosity, no creativity left. Why not? What do they have in common? They've been to school. School has a way 
of systematically killing a child's curiosity and creativity. It has a way of taking away the heart of a child, their sense of wonder. The first thing I said to the deans when we all sat down for lunch on June 1st, as I said to them, what would you like us to, me to fix? And they all listed a bunch of things. And they're all good things that we might need to work on. And we are working on. But I said to them, this is the only thing I'm interested. Protect their wonder. When a child walks into first grade, he will have wonder. When he walks into second grade, does he still have it or is it gone? And we asked the teachers when we started school this year, I said, are you going to let a child lose his sense of wonder on your watch? You're going to teach them a lot of things and a lot of truths, but are you going to do it in a way that stirs up wonder or destroys wonder? Are you going to wear them out and frustrate them? Or are you going to stir up their sense of wonder? Now, you understand, here's how we do this. It's not real easy, but here's what it's going to take. We're going to have to totally tear apart school and go in a totally different direction. You know what happened? When the founders of the school got started, or the founders of every classical school, they understood one thing to be true. And as a founder of a school, I can tell you this is probably the only thing I knew to be true is I knew that the school I went to was a failed experiment. It did not work. I knew that the schools that were being offered, not just public, but public and private around there, that, that you just would hope your child would come out of there not being worse than they were the day they went in. School was a failed experiment. And the classical school model was created by a bunch of people that said, give us something different. And they found that different in this ancient 2,000-year-old model of classical education and said, okay, that's different. We'll go there. But what they realized is, is when they were leaving beyond this modern experiment of education, which, by the way, every reasonable person is leaving behind. They're not necessarily choosing classical education, but they know this experiment didn't work. And here's why it didn't work. It was created by a group of men who had one, one issue they were trying to accomplish. They knew that the factory owners couldn't get enough people to work in their factories. Lo and behold, men would get off ships and women would get off ships and they'd sailed across the world trying to get to land over there where they'd come to America in the 1880s. And they're saying, I'm going to be a free person. I'm going to go west. I'm going to do big things. I'm going to do great things. I came over here. And the factory worker would offer them a job. And these factories on the East Coast, they'd go in and work for a few days and go, I'm not doing this. This is for animals. This is not for human beings. This is for people who don't want to think. This is for people who don't want to do anything creative. They have no curiosity. People who can just sit all day long doing the same monotonous task. They had a problem. They couldn't get people to work in factories. And this is a historical fact. So they started a school and they said, we'll make people who will do as they're told. We'll make people who are no longer curious. They just, they'll basically, they'll know how to read, they'll know how to write, they'll know how to show up on time, they'll know how to sit in their desk till they're told to stand up. And then when it's time to sit back down, they'll sit back down again. And it was a task where they said, and, and it, you know, it was Gringott, uh, one of Charles Dickens' characters, as he looks at a little girl and he says to her, it's the facts, ma'am, it's the facts. 
That's all there is, is the facts. We teach you the facts. And we drive into you the facts. We, we break your will so that when you get out of school, you're ready to be, do, to be told what to do for the rest of your life. And we're surprised. We've taken away all their heart and their soul. And we're, fr- we're surprised when they walk out without any curiosity and any creativity. We have to totally move away from school. And we have to figure out how to get back to skole, the Greek concept that was also the word for leisure. It was a, it was a, a program that the Greeks had designed that was in tune with the heart and the soul of a child. It, it, it knew how to take a child and turn them into a human being. It is, as uh, one of our teachers told Jackson, it humanized them. It didn't mechanize them. Well, we have a great offering we can offer to our kids. We're not just humanizing them. We're offering them the mind of Christ. We're turning them into something that is more human, and then we're saying, don't be merely human. Imitate Christ. So when we talk about this idea that we want a spirit of innovation, we want our children to walk out of here not as know-it-alls. We don't want them to walk out of here as if they're smarter than the rest of the world. We want them to walk out of here more curious, more creative. We want them to say, bring me a hard problem and I will solve it. And we want them to be ready to know the right questions to ask to solve that problem. Finally, and thirdly, I would say this. What are we trying to do? We're trying to, uh, um, we're, we're trying to prepare our students so that they are ready to execute. Now, what, what's it mean to be ready uh, to execute in the modern world? What's it mean that a child uh, is ready to move forward? Well, well, I think to get that, you have to realize what we've done very well. A classical school is built around teaching kids how to think theoretically about things. We're an idea school. We focus skills. And that's what I love about classical education. Um, but we're not doing that in a way that prepares them for an ivory tower. We're doing that in a way, hopefully, that uh, ties them to the earth so that they're ready to do the right thing and they're capable of doing the right thing. This is one of the things we want to get better at. We want to get them to, to tie them down to the earth so that the theoretical ideas that they're hearing become more practical so that they walk into the, to college, they walk into an office place. They're, they're ready to learn. They're ready to figure out and take on any task that may be offered them to do. So one of the things that we want to add is more, you know, we, we, teach like an, we teach an engineering one class. We want to do a better job of that. We want to offer more engineering classes. We teach our students a lot about government, but now we want to add in some electives on, uh, and require kids to take it, which isn't really a great elective, but uh, on government and, t- and on economics. We want to teach them more about technology and computers, not by backing off the theoretical. We will always be a school that focuses primarily on developing the habits of the mind in a way that shapes the habits of the soul. But we also want to do that in a way that when they walk out of here, they walk out of here ready. Here's what I think that looks like. Tim Keller tells a story of a man, uh, or a lady who came to his church. And afterwards he asked her why was she here because she said she was not a believer. And she said, it's my boss. She says he's the best boss in the world. He's really good at what he does. But the other day I made a mistake. 
And when I made this mistake, I went to him thinking I was about to get fired. And he looked at me and he said, you know, if I go to my boss and I say you did this, he will demand that I fire you. But he really likes me, so I'm going to go and I'm going to own this and take it on myself. And she said, why in the world are you doing that? And he said, because that's the right thing to do. And she says, no one does that. And he said, well, Christians do. And she said, well, where did you learn this? And he pointed her to Redeemer. You see what I'm saying? We want our graduates not being the people who walk out of here who have the appearance of goodness, but they have the genuine, authentic article. And, and they're, not just, they're not just spiritually good people, but they're also competent people. They're ready to impact the world and to make a difference. Not just because they're curious and creative and not just because they have practical skills, but also because they know how to love their brother and their sister as they love themselves. This is the school we want to create. We want to create a school that creates strength. We want freedom. We want a school that creates students who are innovative. We want a school that creates students who walk out of here ready to execute. We're going to point kids toward Christ, and we're going to point them to flourish in, through Christ in the modern world. We're going to do this, and we're going to do this together. But we're going to do this because it's not going to be a story about who we are. We're going to get out of the way so that we're not merely human beings walking into this school, showing them and teaching these kids. We want, some, we want something more than humans walking into this building. We want Christ walking into this building. And when they see us, we want them to see through us to see Christ. 